You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 is uh, where we're at this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this whole idea of being courageous is the theme of the book of 2 Timothy. And when I think courageous, there's some images that immediately crop up in my head. Now, one of the most impactful things I've been through as an individual in this life actually is 9-11. One of those days that I will never forget, we were actually living in Maine at the time, and, and so we were not far from where the World Trade Centers fell, and, and the, the whole ordeal took place, and, and I remember being glued to the TV screen on that morning, actually booking my U-Haul to move back to Canada that morning, I remember being glued to the screen, going like, what is going on? So catastrophic and so horrendous, but yet out of that tragedy came some amazing stories of human courage. And the images I still remember as I think of 9-11 and seeing TV uh, footage of firemen running into burning buildings to pull people out, giving no regard for their own life. And policemen and others just striving to do whatever it takes to, to, to help, to serve, and to rescue people. One story that's always stuck with me is the story of Flight 93. The, the, the airplane that went from Newark to San Francisco. And, and you remember that story? Remember that story? It was hijacked, and a bunch of the people on board are like, something, something severe is going on here. And they started talking, and, and the one guy, Todd Beamer, called his wife, and he's like, honey, I just want to say I love you. And then all that was heard on the, the phone was like, let's roll. People who realized the, the, the gravity of what was happening, and, and that plane they figured was going to hit the Capitol buildings or the White House and say, you know what, not on my watch. I'm not going to stand by and, and watch our nation go down. And, and storming that cockpit and making that plane crash before it took out some significant um, places in the United States. Courageous, to say the least. People who realize the significance of the times, the direness of the circumstances, and say, you know what? There's no time to be sitting back. There's no time to be holding back. I am going to be all in to do whatever it takes to make a difference and make an impact on the world. Courageous. The same real call that Paul is giving Timothy in 2 Timothy. Timothy, realize the dire circumstances that are happening around you. The world is becoming more godless, but now than ever, don't run away, son. Don't run away. Stand up. Now's the time to make a difference with your life. This is what matters. Just as a plane hitting a building, there's eternal consequence. There's some significant ramifications, but, but Timothy, there's eternal ramifications for what's happening in the world around you. Now's the time to be courageous for Jesus Christ with all that's going on, with all that's at stake. Let's roll for the glory of God. Let's be all in for the one who went all in for me. This is the call of 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. We're only going to hit seven verses today because they're so packed with significance and meaning. Words that were written 2,000 years ago but still come alive and still hit our hearts. Look at the little subtitle here in 2 Timothy 2, 2. It says this, a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Sometimes I think we kind of run through the Bible. We run through some of the verses. We're like, give it a nod. Like, I get it. I get it. But let, let's take 40 minutes this morning to think about what God is calling us to when he tells us to be a good soldier, uh, chase after the things of God in this life like an athlete chases after the prize, be like a farmer who works hard diligently looking for the reward of the crops. Let's think about this deeply this morning, for this is God's call, not just on Timothy. This is God's call on our lives. There is no time to sit back. There is no time to, to get our priorities all mixed up. There's no time to get entangled with the things of this world. This is an urgent call of God as there's so much at stake for us. We get the impression from 2 Timothy that you know, Timothy was probably a timid, a timid little man. And, and this is persistent Paul saying to Tim and Timothy, Timothy, uh, do it. Timothy going, I can't do it, I can't do it. Paul saying, yes, you can. Don't be like the, the guys we talked about last week. Remember at the end of, of chapter one, there was a, a couple of guys who walked away. Phygelus and Hermogenes, and, and this is probably the thought as he's calling Timothy to be a good soldier. Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Those guys deserted ranks. And when the going got tough, those guys got going. They were out. Be like one Sephora. He has the Medal of Valor. When everybody else was running away, he was still courageous, standing firm and going after the things of God. And so he gives them a command. You then, but it's a command as a loving father would give a Son, you then, my child, just showing how Paul's loving Timothy in this. He's not, he's not trying to make him feel guilty. He's not coming after him. And, and what is he saying? He's saying, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's just like, Timothy, you can do it. Stop thinking you can't do it. I know you're timid, but God will give you all the strength that you need to be courageous. These two words, be strengthened, it's both active and it's passive. It's a, it's a command that God gives us, but it's a command that is not in our own strength. It's in Jesus Christ. You see, be strengthened, but be strengthened in what? In your own resolve? No, but in the, all the resources that God has already given you. Being strengthened spiritually is much like being strengthened physically. Nobody gets strong by sitting on the couch exercising their right thumb. Nobody gets strong sitting on their back deck with their feet up uh, looking at the pool. And so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, come on, guys, get going. Come on, Timothy, get going to, to get strong. What do you have to do as a, as a person? You have to get in the gym. You have to work out. You have to put some exercise and some sweat in. And so it's a, come on, stand up and be strong spiritually. What do we have to do to be strong? We don't just sit on the couch and, well, God's going to make me strong. If God's going to make me strong, then I'm going to be strong. If he doesn't make me strong, I guess he wants someone else to be strong and not me to be strong. You ever find yourself playing those mental gymnastics? 
And so like, no, let's be strong. How do you work out spiritually? You get in the word of God. It's like, now's the time more than ever to get out, get in the word of God and start soaking in the word of God that his word can dwell in you richly. How do we get strong spiritually? We start praying like we've never prayed before. How do we get strong spiritually? We start standing up and putting our spiritual gifts into practice and exercising the, with the, the muscles, the spiritual muscles that God has given us. But we do all these things knowing that ultimately it's the Lord who's going to strengthen us and do it. Be strengthened in not yourselves, but the grace of God. The favor of God, the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit who indwells each of us. The grace that God gives us every single morning. God is our coach that inspires us, our trainer that instructs us, but also the power within us. All by his grace. The only reason any of us stand here today or sit here today is by the grace of God. The only way we can accomplish anything is by the grace of God. Joshua, Joshua 1, 8, 9, be strong and courageous. How can we be strong and courageous? But I'm so fearful. So is Joshua. So is Timothy. How do we be strong and courageous? By the grace of God. Remember, remember a little earlier? 2 Timothy 1, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit that's courageous. He's given it to us already. All we have to do is stand up and exercise it. Is there anything worth being courageous about, brothers and sisters? It's the things of God. It's the person of Jesus Christ and pursuing the kingdom of God and making a difference with our lives. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier. Be strengthened to these things. Invest your life in others. Be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Be an athlete in this life, in the spiritual realm. Be like the farmer who works hard and gets his share of the crops. What we see here, honestly, is really four qualities of all-in followers of Jesus Christ. As we look at the first seven verses of chapter two, we see four qualities of all-in Jesus followers that God has called us to. Let's just unpack these for a moment so we understand the full significance of what God desires from our lives. And remember, this isn't now that I can earn favor from God. This isn't like now that I can work so hard to show everybody how spiritual I am. This, this is a, man, if you really see the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, this is the natural response. How do I love Jesus? Well, here's how you love Jesus. How do I show the world that I have the, my allegiance is to one person and one person alone? Here's four ways. You know, that God calls us to live out our faith in a way that demonstrates the wonder of Jesus to the world around us. Number one, be devoted to multiplying my faith in others. If I'm going to be all in, this is really the call of today. It's kind of like an all in Sunday. It's kind of like commitment Sunday. If I'm going to be all in for Jesus, it starts with being devoted to multiplying my faith in others. Look what uh, Paul calls Timothy to. Be strengthened in grace. And the first thing he says is, and what you've heard from me, so what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, probably the apostles and other spiritual men who are actually confirming that what Paul is saying is true, it's proper doctrine, it's right theology, it's all things that come from God. So what do you do with these things? Entrust them to faithful men who will also be able to teach. 
this is really uh, Paul's commissioning to raise up elders, probably is what he's saying within the church. Commit all that you've learned to faithful men. God cares about doctrine. You understand that, right? God cares about what we believe. And so, so Timothy, here's what you do. Don't just get so caught up in ministry. Don't get caught up in your own thing that you don't forget that your main task is putting into others what I have given you that they might also engage in the work of the ministry. Who's he looking for? He's looking for faithful men, faithful people, faithful women. What does it mean to be faithful? It means that your eyes are fixed on Jesus. It means that you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The word of God is important to them, to you. Your character looks like Christ. That's faithfulness. It's not just coming to church on Sunday and leaving here saying, well, I did my time. Faithfulness is that you're all in for Jesus. And, and men who are able to teach, this is really what the qualifications of elders are. Faithful men, if you look at Titus 1 and, and Timothy and Peter, it's, it's really just just faithful as all that's unpacked for us and what it looks like and, and with the ability to teach. So many today, people today think that, that the pastor's role is to, to, to be the be-all and the end-all. Some people today think that the pastors, we don't need the pastor at all. He's either the be-all and the end-all or we don't need him at all. Com- completely backwards when it comes to uh, God's teaching through his word. Definitely the pastor's not the be-all and the end-all. Part of our role as pastors is to do exactly what Timothy is telling Paul to do, to raise up people to do the work of the ministry. This, this is, in fact, how Jesus lived his life. Think of Jesus. How did he impact the world? He put into 12 men, and he invested in 12 men. He raised them up, three specifically, three in the inner circle, and then he released them to do ministry. Ephesians 4, verse 12 tells us that's the same call as pastors. It's not like this is my thing and now I hoard it and I'm the only one who's supposed to be able to understand theology and and preach. No, I'm supposed to be raising you up. It says in Ephesians 4.12 that pastor's role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip you, help you grow to the point where you're standing up and you can actually do it yourself. It's the same goal we have as, as raising our kids. What's our goal for our kids? That they stay home forever? Or have your parents like, no. Our goal is that we'd raise them up, that they could stand on their own two feet and be strong, contributing citizens to this world. My wife's already saying, well, I hope Zach chooses Brock College. If he doesn't, we're going to have to move. I'm like, we're not moving for our son for sure. <laughs> he doesn't want that. We don't want that. Isn't that a fail if you raise a kid that can't fly the coop? Here's what Paul's encouraging Timothy with. He's like, don't raise kids who can't fly the coop. Invest your your life in raising up others to do the work of the ministry. This is why we exist as pastors and elders. In fact, you do need pastors and elders. That's why God went to such great lengths to spell it out for you in the the scriptures. Reality is is that we need you as well to accomplish what God's accomplished uh, for our church. We can't do it alone. What's this whole principle for you? I know it's a good pastoral principle for me, but what's this whole principle for you? I don't think it's any different for you than it is for me. What has God called you to do with your life, just to live your life now on your own for the glory of God? No, he's called you to raise up others behind you to invest your faith that when you're long gone, the the faith is still alive here on earth because of your impact in other people's lives. 
You're called to be a life investment representative for Jesus. We have financial investors. We have all kinds. You're called to be a life investment representative for Jesus. In other words, your call in your life to live out courageously is to invest your life in somebody else that can go forward and do the same. I've said it many times, but dads, your job is not just to teach your kid how to play baseball or hockey and cart them around the world. Your job is to raise up your family and disciple your family in the faith. Moms, you have an active, active, active role in that as well. It's not just cooking meals and cleaning. And all the women said amen. Just a couple of you. It's to invest in your family. Families, you're called to invest in those around you. Even our, our church, you're, you're called to invest. You're called to disciple others for the glory of God. Let me ask you this. Who are you putting your faith into that one day can look back and say, that was the most significant, influential person in my life because of the way they loved me and came around me and taught me the scriptures and taught me how to pray, talked life and faith. Who is that in your life? If that's nobody, that's a massive mistake that you're making with the investment of your life. It's not just a call on pastors. We're to equip you to do what we do, to go out. That's, that's how the multiplication thing works. And it's really not that difficult. So many people think, well, I could never do that. You can do that. If you understand the Bible and have been around the faith a little bit and you have a heart for Jesus, find somebody, pray for somebody. Who can I invest my life in? Take them out for coffee once a week or once every two weeks. Just talk life, talk faith, walk them through the Bible. We have all kinds of ministries available here at our church. Harvest kids and harvest students. What do they need more than ever right now? They don't need someone to be their best friend. They got lots of best friends. They need somebody to invest in their lives in eternal ways in things that matter deeply to Jesus. Even as I stand here today, I know that I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be standing here without mentors in my life to lead me, to guide me, to sometimes smack me in the right direction. First one ever, John Shirk. I was maybe 12. He was about 25. Actually, he was a man that I've shared him with you before. He took me under his wing. He'd, he discipled me. And, and actually, when I was about 13, he passed away from cancer. One, one guy that I'll never forget my whole life. Hasn't been a part of my life for 30 years, but he's the first guy that actually took an interest in me and said, you, son, have some potential for the Lord. I want to grow you up in the things of Jesus. You don't make the same mistakes that I made. I think of guys in college like Stan Peters, the, the dean of the college, that took me under his wing and said, we're going to meet for breakfast every, every Friday morning for your senior year. I'm like, we are? Yes, we are. I think of guys like Eric Penny, an older man who'd retired ministry, whom I'd meet with when I was first starting as a youth pastor. I didn't have a clue what was going on. They give you all the theology in Bible college. They don't really teach you ministry. Who in your life are you investing in that when you're long gone, they can look back and say, I'm only here because of. You want to be all in for Jesus? That's where it starts. This life is not about me. It's investing in others for the glory of God. Paul then gives us three images that I think we all know so well and some of them are a little bit shocking when you think about your life, but they're meaningful to us. They make, um, make the scriptures come alive. First one is this. It talks about being a soldier for Jesus. How do I be all in for the Lord? I, how do I live courageously? I'm a soldier for Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing you can write in your notes. I'm dedicated to God and his mission. 
I am dedicated to God and his mission. In other words, I've been enlisted to the Lord's army. Is that how you think of yourself in your Christian faith, enlisted to the Lord's army? Look what it says. Share in suffering. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we covered suffering very well last week, I think, and so we're not going to get there again. But look, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Really what this text is calling us to, if, to be all in followers of Jesus that serve the Lord with the same devotion as a soldier, single-minded purpose, rigorous discipline, not thinking of ourselves but the cause for which we're fighting and we're thinking about our commanding officer more than we think about ourselves. I get it, I get it, this idea of soldier. It's like, well, soldier, doesn't it sound like regimented and rote and like, I'm just reporting for duty, sir. It does sound a little bit like that, but take, if you have struggle with that, take that up with God because this is the words that he uses in his scriptures. I think our struggle maybe in North America, I shared this already a couple times in the last couple weeks, is that we kind of think following Christ is like summer camp and, and God's like following Christ isn't like summer camp. Following Christ is like enlisting for war. There's a spiritual battle raging all around us, Ephesians chapter 6. And the enemy never quits, and, and what God wants is men and women uh, who, are, who, who see so clearly the truth of Jesus, who are willing to stand up and contend for the truth as a soldier would go to war. To love Jesus enough to say, Jesus, I will put my whole, my whole life on the line for you. To, to not get caught up in all the civilian pursuits. What civilian pursuits? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Think about a soldier who's out there on the battlefield with his deck of cards. Think about a soldier on the battlefield thinking about all the things he'd rather do at home. That soldier's going to be What? dead. When it talks about being entangled in the scriptures, this word is referring to, and when Paul wrote this to Timothy, they would have understood what this meant. They probably would have had the image of a sheep or a hare being tangled in thorns. Hare being a rabbit, not your hair hair, but hare being a rabbit. And so the imagery is, like, don't, don't get caught up in all the things of this world. Don't, 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 don't let the, the trappings of, of popularity or the, the, the allure of, of, of wealth or the, 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 the desire for pleasure. Don't get wrapped up. Don't let those things get entangling you. It's just going to distract you from what is most important that God has called you to. It's really calling God's people to not just good things, but God things. Because our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. It's not even God giving us our marching orders. All right, now you're in the army. Here you go. Like, one, two. It's not that. It's, it's man, I can't believe that I get the privilege of serving the Lord. Have you ever been in the airport and seen some of those military guys in the airports in the States? They're all proud. They wear their uniforms, and they're like, they're, they're proud to serve their country. They, they, they stand for something more than, than the frivolous things of this world, and they wear them with such pride and such urgency. And this is how we ought to serve Christ, with the pride of saying, man, if there's any army I want to serve on, it's the Lord's army. And I will even give up my life to fight for the cause of Christ. 
Christian faith, we're supposed to approach like a diligent soldier seeking to earn the Lord's blessing more than anyone else's blessing, seeking to show our love for Christ for what he's done for us by pleasing him above everything else. Back to the 9-11 kind of intro story. Out of that whole 9-11 catastrophe came another amazing story that that caught my attention. It's about an American football player named Pat Tillman. You've probably heard this story too, but I thought of this, the, the, the whole idea of uh, enlisting in the, in the army and, and foregoing all the pleasures of this world. And Pat Tillman was an uh, all-American linebacker for Arizona State and actually was inducted into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame in 2010. But what, hit, what made his life uh, famous was the fact that on the verge of signing a three-year, $3.6 million contract to sign at the Arizona Cardinals, he gave up a football career to join the army. In light of 9-11, he said, there's bigger things, there's more important things in the world than football. There's more important things in the world than becoming rich. He actually signed up and enlisted himself in the army. Only to not, short, not long after that, give his life for his country and be hailed the ultimate hero. Remember hearing that story and being like, man, who would give up an NFL contract? Man, like, like hey, And what did he do it for? The freedom of Americans and the hope of beating, you know, down evil. And I look at his example and I'm like, well, how come we as Christians aren't following suit with the things of God? How come oftentimes we as Christians, we talk about all the right things and yet yet we live just like everybody else? And and why are we not uh, so all in for Jesus the way that he was all in for his country? Here's one thing I think we've lost in our uh, Christian culture today. We've kind of romanticized what it means to live for Jesus Christ. Kind of a mushy, gushy love. And it is. There's love there for sure. But we don't sing songs anymore that we used to sing when I was a kid even. Remember the song, um, Onward Christian Soldiers? Remember that song? Anybody with me? Every time I give you guys, you're all looking at me like I'm the only one. I'm the only one that sang that? Like, Onward Christian? There, there you go. Man, there. All you holdouts, you're all like, I've never heard that song before. Remember? Onward Christian Soldiers. There's a sense of like, yes, let's do this for the Lord. Now it seems like, no, no, we just sit at home and sing worship songs. Lord, That's what it is to be a Christian. Part of it, but like onward Christian soldiers, devotion to the Lord. We get so wrapped up in things of the world. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus. Going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. That's our desire as believers. I just want to see God's banner go forward. That's the best use of my life in this short few years God's given me. I don't care what the world thinks anymore. I want to please the one who enlisted me. That's what it means to be all in. That's what it means to be all in. Here's number three. Being all in is determined to give Jesus my everything. Being all in is determined to give Jesus my everything. You've been recruited to be on team Jesus. Look at verse five, one verse, but let's think about it for a minute. That's what, so we learn in verse seven, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding into everything. Here's verse five, an athlete 
is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We're supposed to follow Christ with the same vigilant determination as an athlete chases after the prize, a gold medal or a championship. Paul often uses athletic imagery to inspire Christ's followers to pursue Jesus, to compete by the rules and to give our everything with a single focus to earn the prize that God has for us in Christ Jesus. When it talks about here of competing by the rules, the first thing we think of is, is just all the rules and regulations that, 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 that this is calling us to. And yet, if you look back at, at history, here's how the, here's how the athletes, they, they had some pretty strict rules that they had to, to apply by to even get into the Olympics. They had to be a, a, a Greek citizen. Now they had to train for 10 months and swear by Zeus that they trained for 10 months. And then they had to compete as every athlete even does today. According to the rules, you don't compete according to the rules. What happens? Get disqualified. You start injecting things in your muscles to make them bigger, which so many people do today. People find out what happens, you get disgraced. You start cutting corners and, and you find yourself that you don't, you don't get on the podium, you find yourself in the, outside the stadium in the news tabloids. So Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, like there's a, there's a prize to be had here, there's a crown to be won, but you must do it according to the way that God designed you to do it. Go after it according to the, the word of God by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. Here's what Paul says, another athletic imagery. All runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run that you may obtain it. Our prize is Jesus. Our prize is all the crowns he's going to give us. Our prize is, is eternity. Run that you might obtain it. Don't show up for the game unprepared, untrained, just sort of sauntering on the field. You'll get massacred. You won't get the prize. Look what he goes on to say. Every athlete, this is 2 Corinthians 9 again. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but to receive a perishable wreath, but we are going to get an imperishable wreath. So they do it for something that doesn't matter. They do it for a gold medal. You know gold medals are only worth about $600? You know gold medals aren't even real gold? They haven't given away a real gold medal since like the 1920s. They're 92.5% silver with a little gold coating over the top. And think of all that an athlete goes through to get that gold medal. It takes four to eight years of training just to qualify for the Olympics. For zero money. Olympic athletes train six hours a day, six days a week, every week, as well as work jobs to try and make ends meet. Most Olympic athletes don't take Christmas off. They don't take their birthdays off. They go after it. They eat the right foods. All the McDonald's stuff that so many of us love, they don't eat that stuff. They have to eat veggies all the time. Social life, push it aside. What's it for? It's for a little gold medal around their neck. And if you're a Canadian athlete, maybe 30 grand you get for winning that gold. 
of which even if you break a record, you know what? Most records last like two, three, four, five years. And do you remember who won the Olympics last year? 100 meter? Me neither. Do you remember any of their names? Me neither. And look at all that goes into athletics. I think it actually puts us to shame a little bit. Because they're going after a prize that it's empty. But we as believers, we go after the eternal prize. We go after the crown of glory that we're going to get when we see Jesus. We, we go after the ultimate prize. And how much more ought we be self-sacrificing and, and, and determined to go after Jesus Christ all in singular focus? Our prize, Matthew 6 tells us, will never rust Malls won't get it, and it will never be destroyed. Last I heard, most athletes don't just want to be in the game. They want to win the race. They want to do their best. This also applies to our faith. We want to win the race. We want to be the best Christians we could ever be for the glory of God. Look what he's done for us. How ought we not pursue him with Every ounce of energy and vigilance. Here's the last one. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. We ought to diligently label, uh, labor for eternal rewards. We ought to diligently labor for eternal rewards. We've been enlisted to the Lord's army. We've been, we've been drafted to the Lord's team. We've been entrusted with the king's crops. You and I have been called out to be hired hands at GK Farms, God's kingdom farms, to invest eternal seeds that will reap an eternal harvest that will go on forever. When it comes to farming, we think of sitting in a combine with air conditioning and pushing a button to make the manure go away. But that's not the way they did it back in when Paul was writing to Timothy. To think of the hard-working labor that farmers had to go through. They still work hard, trust me. But think of the hard-working labor. It is sweat. It is toil. It is consistent. It's every day. There, is, there are no breaks. Vacations are few and fair be, far between. It is, here it comes down to, Work. I know it's a term that's been called legalistic today, but it's a hard, what is it? Say it, say it. Working farmer. In fact, Paul often describes ministry as work. For those of you who think that pastors just go and talk theology all week and sit in a nice cushy office, that's not the way it goes. It is work, Romans chapter 16, 6 and 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. I am what I am, and I have worked harder than any by God's grace, Paul says. In other words, being a Christian sometimes feels a lot like work more than vacation. And so God calls us to work diligently, to labor for the kingdom of God, knowing that the first share of the crops are going to be ours. 
There's a reward to be had, just like the athletes, a reward to be had, and it's a first share of the crops. In the New Testament, farm laborers were often paid a portion of the crops they helped to plant, cultivate, and harvest. So if you're planting the crops, you get a first fruit of those crops. And any diligent farmer, what do they look forward to the most every single year? What do they look forward to the most? Harvest. I've shared with you before that one summer of my life that I would like to forget in many ways, but it served for many, many sermon illustrations, working on a farm. And man, even though we had all the modern technology, it was difficult work. As the newest hired hand, you know where I spent most of my days? In the calf pen. Getting rid of their little treats. And all the jobs a farmer didn't want to do, guess what he told me to do? One thing I learned on the farm is, man, those guys work harder than anybody, and they didn't get paid a lot. I'd show up for work at like 6.30 in the morning, and the farmer would be like up, like a big smile on his face, like he'd been up for hours working already. I'd go home at night, and he'd be going in for supper only to go back out and continue farming. Don't remember him honestly taking vacation. Somebody had to look after the farm. Who's going to look after the farm? You know what it was? Day and night, it was eat farm, drink farm, dream farm, smell farm. Farm, farm, farm all the time. It was, it was hard work, and yet, yet I'd ask Brian, like, Brian, why do you do this? Sell the farm and do something that everybody, like, something normal. We can have a nine to five. He's like, but I love it. When he would come alive, it was harvest time. He was so diligent in plowing the fields. He was so diligent in fertilizing the fields and checking on the crops and doing all the things in harvest time. Man, they would work round the clock to get that harvest off, and that was their sustenance. That's the reward they had for all their farming. And, and this is the illustration that God gives us of how it is to labor for Jesus. It is hard work. It's early in the morning. It's late at night. It never ends. It's singular focus. I'm going to go after this because you know what? I can't wait till harvest. Athlete, it's not just a wreath on our heads as an athlete. It's not just like some crops at the end and say, look what I got. It's the eternal harvest. It's, it's seeing souls changed forever. It's seeing people come alive in Jesus. It's seeing sin destroyed in people's lives. It's knowing that because of our lives, because of our diligent labor, we're going to spend eternity with so many people that didn't know Jesus before they ran across our lives. Work hard, and there's an eternal reward that you're not going to be disappointed by. I'm amazed at how we think that all the rewards are here on earth. You think your rewards are here on earth. Guess what? They are. If this is all you're working for. Your rewards are here on earth. And you know what? They're nothing compared to the rewards in glory. Three images that God gives us. Soldiers highlight these. Athlete. Farmer. Sounds like a lot of sacrifice, doesn't it? Sounds like this life actually isn't my own after all. Sounds like there's more to it than saving for my kid's college fund and having that steak on Saturday night, taking in a Leaf game and hopefully retiring in Muskoka's at your cottage. Sounds like there's a little more to it than that, doesn't there? 
but I want the easy following Jesus. That's what I signed up for. You're missing out on the real Jesus, the real life that he's ordained for you. Even though it involves sacrifice, this is the path to our eternal joy and eternal fulfillment. Listen to what David Livingston says. The missionary who gave up everything to serve the Lord. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending my life as a missionary in Africa, but in fact, it is a privilege. Anything that we have to go through or give up is nothing compared to the glory that will later be revealed in and through us. It is a privilege even to face opposition for the God that saved us. Think about these things. Ponder these things. This is actually the only time it's mentioned in the Bible, this phrase, think about these things, and it just means just stop and take a deep think about what this means to you and what this means to your life, and even this, does my life resemble any of this for the Lord at all? What does this mean for me today? Save most of the application, excuse me, for the end of this sermon. But I think what it means is simply what it says. I'm not maybe this overly spiritual guy who has all these hidden meetings in the text that, oh, I prayed so much and actually it says this, but it means this. You know what I think it really means? I think it really means that we're supposed to have the same mentality as a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer when it comes to our faith. I think it means that Jesus is supposed to be our everything and God's kingdom is supposed to be closely behind and we're supposed to come in third place in our lives. So what does this mean? Does it mean that I now have to, all the men, you're going to go and become a monk and women, we're all going to quit everything and go become nuns? So I can be single, singly devoted to Jesus? Don't think it means that at all. In fact, if you read Colossians, Colossians 3.23, it tells us really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do this, 3.17 first, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Every aspect of our lives, every sphere of our lives, God's not supposed to be here in a little compartment. God's the center of everything that we think, say, and do. He's the center of our family lives. He's the center of our work lives. He's the center of our social lives. Everything we do is for Jesus and for the kingdom of God. This is really what it comes down to for application. Jesus comes first. I don't even think he should have subtitled this. The, you, know those, you do know those subtitles in your Bibles above the, the text? Those aren't God-ordained. You do know that, right? Right? Where it says a good soldier of Jesus, if I was the person coming up with a subtitle of this, I would just say, be all in for Jesus, because there's so much more than just being a good soldier. Simple application. Jesus comes first. First in my mind, first in my thoughts, first in my heart. God desires our first fruits. He doesn't even care if we go and do all these things and miss out our heart in loving and longing for him. God, Jesus comes first. This is what it means to be a Christian. Who comes first? Jesus comes first. He gets the best of my thoughts. He gets the best time of my day. 
He gets the best of my resources. He gets the best of all that I am and all that I have. Gets our first fruit is the biblical term. He gets our first fruits. Does Jesus get your first fruit this morning? Or does he get leftovers? When he shows up in your house, are you like, you know, I'm going to rummage through the fridge and give him whatever I got in the fridge? Are you going to like find the, the, give him your best, your very best, prepare him the meal that he deserves? When you wake up in the morning, is your first thought to your phone and to all the things of the day, is your first thought to Jesus Christ, the one who ordains your day? When it comes to your heart, so your husband's first, or your kids first, or your jobs first, or your pursuits first, or is Jesus come first? When it comes to our resources, I'm going to look after me first and pay all my bills, whatever I've left over, then maybe Jesus can have a little portion of that after I... Or is it no way? I was going to give my first to Jesus, trusting he's going to look after everything else after that. What about your lives? Do you give Jesus the best of your life? Are you still at 40 years old trying to make the NHL and giving your best of your life to your hobbies? Or still trying to make a name for yourself or still trying to build your financial portfolio and, and so the best of you goes everything else and whatever you have left over, then I'll serve Jesus with that. Good soldier, athlete, farmer, means that our first love is Jesus Christ. Revelation 2, return to our first loves, make that Jesus Christ. And right behind Jesus comes this, God's kingdom. God's kingdom comes second. It's really implied out of the first. But over my kingdom, I'm going to pursue God's kingdom. I'm going to serve the Lord with my life. I'm going to commit to his body. I'm going to determine to live my life for the kingdom purposes, not my own purposes. More than anything advanced, I want to see God's kingdom advanced. I want to see more souls saved. I want to disciple people in the faith. I want to see our church grow deep and wide for the glory of God. It's amazing to me that, you know, it's easy to get hyped up about this for like a year or two years or three years, but, but the true followers of Jesus Christ, this is, this is their goal forever. Maybe think back to when our church first started, to be honest, and seven years ago, our little core group of 80 people, and, and anyone here that was in our core group of 80 people? Come on, put your hand up high. Yeah, some of you are still here, absolutely. And everybody was all in, and it was like, I don't care what I do, just let me serve, just let me serve. I just want to see God's kingdom advanced. And slowly, year one, a couple people kind of fell off that map. We're like, oh, this is like more than a year. This is getting hard. Year two, well, this is really cramping my stuff. I have to get up early in the morning now for like every Sunday. I thought it was going to be for a couple Sundays. Year three, a few more, like, whoo, this is like, let me go to a church where it's going to be easy. Year five, well, I used to be excited about those things, but man, I, I was in the past. And year six, there's other people to do that stuff. Why do you need me anymore? Now you got 600 people. I, what's going to happen year seven? God's kingdom. Eternal rewards. Like, like, what are we living for, brothers and sisters? What are we living for? Pretty sure some of us are going to be pretty disappointed. When we get to heaven, 
We might get in and, you know, well, I'm just going to be happy I'm there. Well, then you've missed the point. And all the rewards are going to everybody else, and you're sitting there watching the award ceremonies going on. And I get it. We probably don't keep our rewards. It doesn't matter. You get to probably, here's the joy. You get the crown. Guess what you get? You get to take it off and lay it at Jesus' feet. That's going to be a pretty sweet moment. But I don't think it's going to be like, well, I want it. And you're like, you know, little kid, my crown. It's not going to be it. I get one that I can lay. I get to lay one at Jesus' feet. This is awesome. This is the pinnacle of life. That preacher wasn't lying. The Bible is true. Every ounce of sacrifice, worth it all. Can I encourage you with this? Who cares what everybody else is doing? We look at everyone else. We gauge our lives by everybody else, don't we? Well, they're not doing it, and they think they're spiritual. Who cares what they're doing and what they're not doing? Who cares what position they have? Let's just do our part and serve God's kingdom, not just here at church, in the church. We need everyone here in the church, but outside too. Your job is to advance God's kingdom. You've been given your job to advance God's kingdom at your job. Let's all become pastors then. Let's not all become pastors. That'd be a fail. Let's leave here deciding I'm going to serve Jesus first and then I'm going to serve God's kingdom second and I'm going to give my whole self to being like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. No matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, I'm living my life for Jesus. And third comes me. I take third place. I even hate using that word I because that seems so dominant in our culture, right? iPhones and iPads and I this and I that and I, I, I. I comes third. You know the website I am second? We're actually not even second. We're third. We're third. How many of you live your lives like you're third every week? How many of your prayer lists are determined by the fact that you're third, not first? How much of your agenda is set out by the fact that I'm going to be third today, Jesus first, God's kingdom second, I'm going to come in third. Third doesn't sound too appealing, does it? But at least you're on the podium. But this is what God's called us to. It's an all-in calling. Somehow we even missed this in culture today. We can be... We become fans of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. We're bandwagon fans even, I think, at the most. When things are good, I love Jesus. I show up for church and I'm in. My schedule's freed up. Now I can love and serve Jesus. When it comes to, like, sacrifice and, do, and, and putting myself aside and commitment, all those words are starting to hurt our ears, right? Like, Well, that's for the elite spiritual few. Can I encourage you with this? There's no elite spiritual few in the Bible. If you're a Christian, this is what you are. If you are this, you are a Christian. And really, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. It's an all-in commitment, but think of this. Jesus went all-in for you and I. All-in. Going to give up heaven, come to earth. Cramp my style, take on human form. Walk into Via Della Rosa, the path of suffering to his ultimate demise on the cross. That we might live and have eternal life, that we could have forgiveness of sins, relationship with God. 
commitment, all in, sacrifice. He was there, diligence didn't waver. And all he's asking us in this passage to do is respond to him with the same heart that he has for us. This isn't even a go after it, do better. This is a prioritize Jesus again. Make him the king. Make him the center of our lives. Some of us have never been on this page. I'm just being honest with you. Some of us have never been on this page. I've never even heard this before. I thought following Jesus was supposed to be easy and he's going to do everything for me. I have to do something for him. Well, can I encourage you? This is the true path of life that God has called us to. If you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and made him Lord over your life, then you've missed out on the true call of biblical Christianity. You've missed out on true life today. Surrender your all and put Jesus on the throne. Some of you... Hearing this sermon, like, yeah, I used to be like that. You're like the old guys in Tim Hortons that are talking about the, the olden days. I used to, remember when? If that's you today, can I encourage you with this? Like, forget about the I used to. Today, reality, now. Jesus, it's all for Jesus. It's only for Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ. Don't talk about the days you used to be all in and you used to be committed, but now life's taken over and now there's other things going on. Like, let's get back to the heart of what... Following Jesus really is, and for others who are all in, so many here are in this category, all in, I'm praying that this would just burden your life with an even greater desire, not a bad, but give you a greater desire to just love and honor God as your everything. 2 Timothy 2, 1-7 is really an all-in call to hold nothing back for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy in our lives to even give us sometimes a message that challenges us and convicts us. I pray simply this morning, oh God, that you would cause every person in this place to see the wonder of Jesus and to surrender everything to you, even again, God. For those that need, know they need to do it again, may it happen again this morning. May not one person leave here without Jesus, uh, Lord of their lives, in your name, amen.